Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Pensburg Podcast. I am your host, Gareth Bahanna, and as always, joined by fellow Pensburg writer, Robbie Noggle. Robbie, how have you been since last week's episode? I can't complain too much, Gareth. Um, overall, pretty good. Um, but like we mentioned before we started recording, uh, it was much nicer weather-wise uh, last week than it is right now, but uh, beggars can't be choosers. Uh, definitely spring is coming. Spring is coming, Robbie, and, and with spring's arrival, oftentimes it means it's the start of the Stanley Cup playoffs, and I'm sure we will get there soon enough if you're a Pittsburgh Penguins fan. We have a couple of games to get through, though, before we get to the Stanley Cup playoffs, and uh, as we start every uh, Pittsburgh podcast episode, we'll go through a bit of a recap segment throughout the last uh, seven days to see, see the kind of games the Penguins have played. Uh, not a lot of games on the docket this week, uh, but we do have a couple of losses for the Penguins, and we'll start on the February 17th of 2022, a game the Penguins played against the Toronto Maple Leafs. The Maple Leafs win this one by a score of 4-1. to one. Really, Austin Matthews gets his 33rd goal of the season, 20, 21 seconds into the first period. Toronto already out to a one nothing lead. That would be all the scoring you'd see in the first period of play. In the second period, however, Toronto tacks on two extra goals, courtesy of Morgan Riley and David Kampf. Uh, Riley's goal was on the power play, and Kampf's goal was a, shorty, a shorthanded goal. 
uh, with just under two minutes to go before the end of the period in the second period. Evgeny Malkin would get the lone tally for the Penguins. There would be a little bit of life to see if they the Penguins could claw back in uh, at the towards the beginning of the third period. But Michael Bunting would put the final nail in the coffin for the Maple Leafs. Again, Toronto four, Pittsburgh one. Pittsburgh, Robbie, did have 46 shots on goal. They did, however, go 0 for 5 on the power play. That has been uh, has been one of the things that has regressed throughout this little recent stretch as the power play has struggled quite a bit. 0 for 5, obviously not something you want to see there uh, from the Penguins. Penguins have 25 hits, 13 blocks, 19 giveaways as well, according to the NHL's official website here. Uh, Robbie, not really a, a ton, obviously, to talk about in this game. The Maple Leafs and the Penguins uh, both deserve their records. The Maple Leafs are no slouch in uh, in the uh, Atlantic Division. So uh, you're going to have a clunker like this, Robbie. We've talked about clunkers throughout this season. Uh, this just happened to be one of those clunkers the Penguins had after riding so much positive momentum. Uh, they end up losing this one four to one to the Maple Leafs. So I'll hand it over to you, Robbie. What were some of your thoughts from what you saw on February seventeenth against the Toronto Maple Leafs? Um, I think I saw it that the night of this game. It was on Twitter. Someone pretty much summed it up by saying that it just everybody was firing or misfiring on full cylinders, and that kind of felt what this game was like. They just nothing was working for the Penguins. They were, I mean, coming in on a four-game winning streak. Toronto is a very good hockey team. And, I mean, yeah, you're just going to have nights like this. It's, yeah, it's frustrating to watch as a fan, but just nothing was clicking in this game. It, even when they got that goal to make it 3-1, you never really felt like maybe they could get the ball rolling. It started When it starts off with a goal 20 seconds into the first period, it's probably not going to be your day, and it really wasn't their day. Uh, in this case and I mean Toronto's good but you're done with Toronto now until yeah, the earliest you could probably see them at this point the Eastern Conference Finals so Toronto's good they're fast Austin Matthews is going to be pushing 50 goals uh, this season might win the Rocket Richard um, I mean but it just kind of feels like the Toronto team that's going to break that finally get that first series win and possibly make a deep run in the playoffs just everything's clicking for them right now and, I, yeah, just the Penguins weren't – it wasn't a great game, but it wasn't like they were completely out of their depth. It just – it wasn't clicking against Toronto, and that happens. It's a road game. You'd already won four in a row. You know you have home games coming up. So uh, it just – yeah, you kind of, it's one of those things you just kind of uh, shake off and move on uh, and don't dwell too much on it. As you mentioned, Robbie, the Penguins do return home and they begin some divisional play this time out February 20th against the Carolina Hurricanes, another very, uh, very strong team in the Eastern Conference, just so happens to be a divisional rival for the Penguins. Uh, this would be a game the Penguins would lose as well. However, they lose this one in a much more closer fashion, losing to the Hurricanes by a score of 4-3. to Yesperi Kokniemi. Oh, that's a, that's a butchery name right there, Robbie. I knew I was going to butcher that one. Gets his 11th goal of the season. Carolina's out to a one nothing lead at the 15-18 mark of the first period. Going into the second period, now former Penguin Jordan Stahl, just nine seconds into the second period, gives Carolina a two-goal lead. 
However, Brian Rust would answer back towards the latter half of the second period, getting his 18th goal of the season. And Sidney Crosby would tie the game for the Penguins uh, at the 17-59 mark of the second period. Pittsburgh and Carolina go into the second intermission tied at two. However, Jesper Faust would get his 10th goal of the season. Also nine seconds into the third period this time. And Sebastian Ajo on the power play would follow that up to make it 4-2 Carolina at the 14-18 mark of the third period. Evan Rodriguez would snap a a very long goalless drought, getting a 16th goal of the season on the power play at the 18-48 mark of the third period. Now Carolina leads 4-3, and there was a flurry of action there towards the end of regulation, Robbie, but the Penguins could not pull it out. They could not get the equalizer to go into overtime. So Pittsburgh, as I mentioned, loses this one 4-3 to their divisional rivals. This was, uh, Robbie, this was a pretty close game, even just looking at the statistics here through the box score. Pittsburgh outshoots Carolina 34-30. to Carolina wins 53% of their face-offs to Pittsburgh's 48. The Hurricanes go one for two on the power play. Pittsburgh goes one for four, hits 28-20 to in favor of Carolina as well. Again, Robbie, this is another good team for the Penguins to play. Uh, they did show, I thought they showed a lot more, uh, I don't know if tenacity is the right word. Like you said, you're going to have clunkers, uh, for example, in that game against the Maple Leafs. But uh, the, the Penguins, they, they showed out, and unfortunately, Robbie, goals from Jordan Stahl and Jesper Faust nine seconds into the second period and third period, respectively. That's just incredibly unfortunate, maybe unlucky, uh, you know, nine seconds in both times. If you take both of those, I mean, we don't know how the game would play out. You take both of those goals out of it just nine seconds into their respective periods. But the Penguins played relatively well, the, you know, the, the a divisional game. This is what we were talking about for so long. All of the, the makeup and postponements are, are coming to an end now with the Olympic break fi- coming into the rearview mirror. The Penguins, as we knew they would, they were going to have a lot of divisional games and games against playoff caliber teams, Robbie. Uh, they just find themselves on the short end of the stick in this one. So I'll hand it over to you. What did you like and what did you dislike from the February 20th game against the Carolina Hurricanes? I like that they didn't stop fighting this game. Again, the two goals, nine seconds into the second period and third period, that's a killer. can't happen, especially that second one, just a bad turnover, bad coverage. And especially after you'd fought all the way back and tied that at two, it just felt like a huge uh, punch in the gut. It's just not something you want to see. It's just really frustrating. Uh, and this was a, a frustrating game. It's not like the Penguins were – uh, misfiring this game, it's just they got beat. And, hey, you're going to have games like that too, and uh, that's unfortunate. But what makes it more unfortunate is it came against the Carolina Hurricanes, who the Penguins are currently fighting with uh, for position. But at the end of the day, you have three more games against them this year. You are – and if you want to get out of this division to the conference finals, to the Stanley Cup final, you're going to have to probably beat Carolina at some point. So – all these four games in the end are going to mean generally nothing outside of maybe home ice uh, for the Penguins if they meet Carolina in the playoffs. So it's good. Carolina is a good hockey team, and the Penguins, hey, they kept fighting. They scored that one late. They unfortunately couldn't get an equalizer. But even down 2 nothing, they just it just kept coming, kept coming. Before the Rust goal, they were really pouring it on, really pouring it on, and finally paid off. 
and then Crosby rips that one. It's just really bad. If that turnover early in the third period doesn't happen and the Canes don't score in the first 10 seconds, it might be a completely different game. Um, so it's just it was more just a frustration in this game because the Penguins are right there. It's just stupid mistakes, turning the puck over at the wrong time, not covering their guys is what ended up costing them uh, at least a point in this game. So, I mean, overall, it's just more of a uh, frustration aspect out of this game. But, again, you get three more games against this team, so you win some of them, everything changes. Robbie, uh, the Penguins, as we've discussed uh, at length on the podcast recently, they've gone through tremendous stretches of success, multiple uh, multiple winning streaks of multiple games, in fact. Uh, so the, the Penguins do have some pretty resilient, impressive victories on the season. However, with stretches like this, the Penguins drop two games in a row to two very good teams that are going to represent the Eastern Conference in the playoffs, uh, assuming everything goes to plan unless something catastrophic happens. But, Robbie, the, the, the Penguins go through stretches like these, and you see it on social media all the time. Uh, everyone seems so quick and so reactive to press the panic button. And uh, I'm curious to get your thoughts to know, with these two losses against Toronto and Carolina, and as I mentioned before I handed it over to you, the Penguins' schedule, the remaining schedule, uh, I remember Josh Yoey had a tweet that he outlined the remaining schedule for the Penguins as of February 20th. They have four games against the New York Rangers. Uh, like you said, three more games against the Carolina Hurricanes, two against the Colorado Av- Avalanche, two against the Boston Bruins, two against the Nashville Predators, and one game against the Capitals, the Lightning, the Panthers, the Golden Knights, the Blues, the Wild, and the Oilers. A lot of those games... Uh, and a lot of those teams are playoff-ready teams, Robbie. So it seems like maybe I'm reading too much into social media sentiment, but there's there's something that caught my eye, and our own Adam Gretz posted it this uh, earlier this week on Pensburg.com, talking about the Penguins' performance uh, against other playoff-caliber teams. And he went on to note that the Penguins' record against teams that are uh, in a playoff position right now is, and this was as uh, February 21st, their record against playoff caliber teams is eight, eight and four. That's, you know, that's a 500 points percentage. So you look at that and you think maybe the sky's not falling. Maybe it's not as bad as these two losses make it out to be. So Robbie, all of this information presented to you and presented to everyone listening. I have a simple question for you. Are these Penguins, in your eyes, is this Penguins team, are they pretenders? Do they just beat the bad teams, as maybe we were just accustomed to seeing throughout the first half of the season, uh, the Penguins getting a, a very favorable schedule and, and taking on a lot of those, as I said, bad teams? Are are they are they just beating these bad teams, or do you think that they can hold their own against these playoff caliber teams in the Eastern conference. And we just haven't seen it yet from this team. I think uh, two losses to the Maple Leafs and the uh, uh, hurricanes are way, I mean, way too early to uh, call them pretenders. I mean, you just won four in a row. Yeah. You're beating, but you have to beat bad teams. I mean, all the teams above you are beating bad teams uh, as well. I mean, uh, it's not the end of the world if they lose to the Canes and stuff like that. Now, if it becomes habitual, then maybe we discuss 
then we discuss a uh, a problem with the Penguins. Maybe they are pretenders then, but I'm not going to jump to any conclusions outside of uh, two games. Um, yeah, the last two months of the season is going to be all jockeying for position. It's going to be getting healthy. It's going to be making trades. So a long way to go before we call them pretenders or anything like that. Uh, obviously, with seven games left against the Canes and the Rangers, a lot is going to be determined in just those seven games. Uh, the rest of the way in here, they do have to play Colorado twice. I believe they have Vegas again yet. Uh, I mean, they're going to play some good teams, both at home and on the road. So, I, I mean, to call them pretenders as of right now, absolutely not. I mean, the Penguins, their body work speaks for itself. Uh, you are beating the teams you're supposed to beat uh, at the very least, and you're in the position in the standings pretty much with the playoff spot already uh, in your back pocket already just because of how well you played this year. And uh, even if you're a mediocre team, you would struggle even against uh, some of those middle-of-the-road, bottom-tier teams, and the Penguins haven't done that. They've built a resume on beating who's in front of them, and it's not the Penguins' fault that the schedule was designed the way it was. Yeah, February got a little bit uh, uh, off because of the rescheduling, so the schedule does change. Some of these games would have been played back in uh, late December, early January. So they are the Penguins, I think, exactly are what they've shown this year, and it's a very good hockey team. Perfect? No. Nobody's perfect. They're not a perfect hockey team. The Lightning aren't perfect. The Avalanche aren't perfect. The Canes aren't perfect. The Rangers aren't perfect. The Leafs aren't perfect. There's nobody that's the perfect team. That's why there's a trade deadline. So uh, we're going to learn a lot about this team in the final two months. And for me personally, just, I mean, you know what lays in front of you. You know what you have to do to get to the position you want. You have to win the games. You have, to, And you, especially with that schedule being that difficult, you definitely have to win the games you're supposed to win. Because in uh, statistics are going to probably say that the, the games against the top of the league are going to be 50-50 games. Um, I don't think there's any team that they play that is outside of maybe Colorado that I would say is clearly, clearly a step above them. But I think Colorado is a step above just about everybody in the NHL right now, uh, the way they've been playing. And that's a good chunk of that's been without Nathan McKinnon. So, uh, yeah, we're going to learn a lot about the Penguins. But to say that they're pretenders at this point, I would definitely say the scales are tipping much toward uh, much, much more toward uh, contender rather than pretender. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. And one thing that obviously does work in the Penguins' favor right now, the Penguins do have that experience. They they have been in, in situations like these. They have faced resilience, uh, or they have dealt with uh, you know the, the resilience aspect even throughout this season. So it's not like the Penguins are filled with uh, a bunch of twenty-year-olds just called up from uh, from juniors or the AHL, and you know they're just trying to find their identity. Uh, that's one of the things that I think works in the Penguins' favor as they try to get through. A, a little bit of a rough patch here. Like you said, Robbie, two games is a massive sample size and the sky isn't falling with, 
you know, two months to go before the end of the regular season. So definitely uh, it looks like the Penguins aren't uh, aren't as doomed as I think a lot of people on social media may make it out to be. But we will switch gears now and move to the mailbag segment. If you're a first-time listener or a long-time listener and you're interested in contributing to this mailbag segment, you can do so by following our Pensburg Podcast Twitter account. Every week we will put out a mailbag tweet asking for your participation for this segment. We love getting all sorts of fun and wacky, crazy questions from the listeners who take the time to submit these questions. So uh, we have five questions this week, Robbie. As always, you will get first crack at the mailbag. Question number one for you comes from frequent mailbag visitor Brandon, and he wants to know, for Canadian kids at age 15 or 16, they get drafted into their CHL leagues. What is the typical process like for uh, hockey prospects or hockey youth in America? Well, at the 15, 16-year-old, I mean, if you're a true star, like Crosby was, like McDavid was, you're already, I mean, you already have eyes on you in every direction from scouts from all over the world, especially in North America. Um, You're under a lot of pressure at that age. Now, there's a lot of kids that, okay, they're kind of known. I'm sure that they have eyes on them already. Um, Because, again, the CHL leagues, uh, the Canadian Hockey League, and even the USHL here in the United States, those are very, very good junior hockey leagues. Now, some of those guys will go to college, uh, especially out of the US, the USHL program. Um, but, yeah, the Canadian guys, I mean, when you're drafted in that league, you have at least dreams of being in the NHL. And um, you play there for two, three, four years, all depending on how you progress. You get to go – if you're good enough, you'll be selected for – uh, development tournaments, or if you're really good, you'll be a part of the uh, like the World Juniors stuff like that. Those are really, I mean, those are high end guys that are probably going to get drafted into the NHL if they haven't been drafted uh, already and are playing uh, at the junior level or the NCAA level. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's a from 15, 16, it's a three or four year process to um, make your way into the professional leagues. Then now. If you're really good, that can be a two or three year process. But for the most part, you're going to most guys are going to climb the ladder uh, rung by rung and uh, try to make a name for themselves in junior. And what you do in junior obviously doesn't always transfer to the professional game, but sometimes it can give you a pretty good idea of what a prospect can do in the NHL. Um, You have a lot of guys that score a ton of goals and record a ton of points to the junior level. And it gives you an idea of maybe they are a, a very high end prospect as compared to a guy that might be a middle tier prospect. So um, basically it's all about scouting, building a rep, building a name uh, and making an impression with, with scouts uh, across, uh, across the, across the game. And a lot of those guys that don't make it in the NHL from the Canadian junior leagues or the American junior leagues, they will go to Europe and play very good hockey. So uh, just because they don't make it in the NHL or the minor leagues of professional hockey in North America, they can always go and play uh, very good hockey over in places like Germany, Sweden, Finland, um, places like that. Uh, question number two comes from Brendan. His question is Zucker for Kessel, Kessel or Zucker for Holpe or another slash better option for moving him? Between the two options here that are mentioned, 
Kessel and Holtby, I, I would imagine it would be easier to trade uh, to trade Zucker for Braden Holtby. Uh, we've talked about backup, the need of a backup, solid backup goaltender for weeks now. Holtby only has a, a cap hit of two million, and at this point in the season, I'm not sure how much more is owed to Holtby on his contract. Whereas Kessel's cap hit is six point eight million, and again, I'm not sure off the top of my head how much more is owed on that contract for this year as well. But just off the top of my head, the a trade for Zucker for Holtby makes more sense logistically when trying to figure out the the nuances of the salary cap because we know the Penguins are are pushed up against it pretty tightly. Uh, I don't know if if a if a, if a one for one. Uh, Zucker for Holtby would make sense for either team, especially the Penguins. You'd like to think maybe maybe you'd get the Stars to throw in a draft pick or, or something like that to, just because they're giving away Holtby. But uh, again, I'm not a general manager. I don't make those kinds of decisions or calls. Uh, Phil Kessel, Robbie, it's kind of interesting. The Phil Kessel chatter has really uh, sprouted up over the last couple of days online. And I get that people people are very very fond of reunions. Uh, everyone wants a Mark Andre Fleury reunion, and now it seems like everybody wants a Phil Kessel reunion. Uh, I wouldn't be opposed to that. The thing is, how are you going to work Kessel's six point eight million dollar cap hit into this Penguins team? It would have to be more than I would imagine more than just Jason Zucker. And looking at a guy like Kasperi Kapanen, who hasn't lived up to expectations, uh, he's also a right-handed shot, as is Kessel. So I, I would entertain maybe a Kapanen for Kessel, it, I, because I don't think Kapanen is going to be with the Penguins beyond this season, if he's even here beyond the trade deadline. Uh, but again, that's wishful thinking and pretty, pr- that's fairy tale general manager right there. I, as much as I would want a Phil Kessel reunion, I don't think it's happening. So I'll say the more likely scenario between the two you presented is Zucker for Holtby to address the backup goaltender position. Question number three comes from Brian, a.k.a. Pope Darth Maul I. I'm surprised how well the Penguins have been playing this season. I do think they need to trade to improve the goalie and scoring depth. I like Holtby for a goalie, but scoring, I'm not so sure. I heard a rumor about Kessel, but I doubt it. Robbie, what are your thoughts? Um, as for surprised how well the Penguins are playing this season, I think that maybe that took us uh, more than just uh, Brian by surprise this year. So um, that's not exactly a uh, hot take that way. Um, uh, goalie, which we've talked about plenty on this podcast, that they definitely an area that they need uh, to address here in the uh, coming weeks, and I mean, Hope is a name that's going to be floated around uh, for pretty much until he, if he gets traded, till he gets traded. Um, as for scoring, I just don't know if Kessel fits in what the Penguins are trying to do right now. Obviously, there would need to be salary retention and a decent, I'd say, a decent contract would need to go the other way. Uh, I do think you could see Kapanen moved if uh, the right trade comes along. And Josh Yoey kind of mentioned it in an article for the Athletic this week that Vancouver could be a very uh, interesting option there with uh, Jim Rutherford now manning the ship out there because he is a very big Casperi Kapanen fan from what uh, everyone said. So um, that's an area to keep an eye on. That doesn't necessarily have to be a move for a big nine player, just getting that money off the books 
uh, not having to worry about it. That way you can make a another move to bring in perhaps somebody else um, to kind of fill that spot. Um, another name that's been floated that I've heard kind of in the mill has been Max Domi from Montreal. Um, he's a restrict, unrestricted free agent after the season, so there'd be no commitment past um, past this season if the Penguins would not want to go that route. Uh, but a very viable option, I think, uh, for the Penguins would be a guy like Domi playing on that second line with Malkin. He plays with an edge. And another thing to watch out there is Ty Domi, Max's dad, former NHLer, is very, very good friends with uh, Penguins uh, minority owner, now, I guess, now Mario Lemieux. Uh, if you've watched enough Penguins games, you've probably have seen Ty uh, in the box with Mario uh, several times in the past. So there's a close relationship there. And I'm sure, I mean, Montreal is going to be selling. They're a very bad hockey team. So that a guy like Domi could be had. So that's another name uh, to watch out for. Uh, Holpe, I think, is a name you're going to hear until uh, until a trade happens uh, or the deadline passes without him being traded. The Penguins are going to be tied to uh, pretty much any backup that's available. I don't see Flurry being an option just because I don't think Flurry's a backup goaltender. I don't think Flurry is interested in being a backup. I think Flurry is interested in being a starter. Would that change for the Penguins? I don't know. We'll find out. We could find out. But uh, Holpe is a very attractive name for me. And uh, as for forward uh, Kessel, don't see it happening. I mean, never say never. Uh, but also, I think a guy like Domi is someone to keep an eye on. Uh, question number four. We go back to Brendan. Uh, should the NHL sponsor slash support? a pro women's league similar to the AHL or ECHL. Last week we had a question, Brendan, if you're listening, I'm not sure if it was from you last week uh, as well. We had a question last week regarding the, the possibility of women entering the NHL within the next five to 10 to 20 years. And while I said then that I don't know how likely it is that women will make their way into the NHL, this possibility, uh, the the possibility of a sponsorship or some sort of a, a partnership, a financial partnership between the NHL and possibly the newly named Premier Hockey Federation, formerly the National Women's Hockey League, is something that I could very much see. Uh, I rem- even recently, uh, the Premier Hockey Federation has been in some headlines uh, talking about some um, financial expansion uh, and how the, the salary cap is going to increase. Yeah, here it is. January 18th of this year, the league announced that the 2022-23 salary cap would more than double to $750,000 per team, as well as full health care benefits and equity stake in the teams for its players. It's very uh, promising that the Premier Hockey Federation is continuing to grow. There's obviously interest in watching these uh, athletes obviously perform. So, would the would the NHL benefit and would the Premier Hockey Federation benefit? Yeah, absolutely. If there's some sort of an official partnership there, getting more eyes on the product, creating more buzz, more social media engagement, obviously more fans, it would be a win-win all around for for both leagues, especially but especially for the Premier Hockey Federation, who obviously doesn't have the the financial backing or the financial reputation that the NHL does. So, uh, a possibility of a partnership. There have been previous previous uh, partnerships between teams uh, like the Buffalo Buttes and the Pagula Sports and Entertainment. The the Riveters, I think the Riveters partnered with the oh, New Jersey yeah, yeah. Devils. 
yeah. a couple of years ago as well. So there have there there is a precedent there for the uh, the formerly the NWHL to reach out to NHL clubs. But if there was an official partnership between the two leagues, I think that would be even better. And like I said, a win-win for all involved. Question number five, the last question of the day, comes from Stephen Whitehouse. What are the most realistic trade options for the Penguins before the deadline? What do we need to push us over the edge and get us past the first round this time around? I think I already kind of answered that in my last response to the uh, question from Brendan. But I think overall it's... um. Yeah, a, a forward and probably and goaltending. Obviously, we've mentioned that like ad nauseum uh, for uh, for a couple weeks now. Uh, forward, I think. I mean, if you're going to look into moving a guy like Happen, you're going to have to bring somebody in. I think uh, so. A guy like uh, Max Domi, like I mentioned, um, I think there's going to be a decent trade market. Uh, I don't know what the prices will be if. Because uh, I, it, it sounds like Ron Hexall has absolutely no desire to uh, trade that first overall pick or with a first round pick uh, this season. Uh, it sounds like he has no interest in that, which uh, fair, understandable. Uh, he has to think about the future a little bit too, even though we all harp on uh, win now, win now, win now. Um, Ron Hexall uh, can't just solely think about that, so. I think overall that you're going to have guy like Max Domi uh, that's going to be available. Braden Holpe, obviously a goaltender. Defense, I really don't know what there is to do at defense when you have six, seven, even an eighth guy, P, uh, Pierre Olivier Joseph, uh, that can jump in. I don't know if you really need to spend assets on a defenseman. I think the main focus will be goaltender for a backup and, and, um, a depth forward or even I mean, Domi could play the top six. So if you want to call Max Domi a top six forward, uh, I'm fine with that as well. So I think that there's going to be options out there for the Penguins. There's still a month, a little less than a month to go uh, until the deadline. So we have a little time to even see how, um, how things pan out in these next uh, few weeks here to see what exactly the Penguins plans are. But it seems like right now everybody's playing their cards close to their chest, which is understandable. And I don't expect anybody to really tip their hand until uh, the time comes. We will uh, have to wait and see. As we do, we inch ever closer to the trading deadline. And as Robbie said, what will be what will be the first domino to fall? Who will make the first move? That is going to be very, very interesting to see as we approach the March 21st trading deadline. But that will do it for this episode of the Pensburg Podcast. Thank you all so much for listening. For Robbie Noggle, I have been Garrett Bahanna. Again, thank you so much for listening. We will see you all right back here this time next week.